Would each of us have this Lord's Day morning to come together on an occasion like this one? As we come together and realize the joy and beauty of God's Word and those who love the brotherhood, 1 Peter 2, verse 17. As we've come together today with the health and the good things that we've been blessed with, might we reflect on the passage that was read in our hearing just a few moments ago? And by way of title, might we consider this lesson? A guarantee of prosperity. Might I submit to you that in the world in which we live, one of the most interesting, one of the most amazing thoughts that seems to rest upon the mind of so many is the characteristic of prosperity. Everyone wants to be prosperous. Everyone wants to have that very aspect by which they appreciate the success, the wealth, the popularity, the fame, the other matters that correlate to prosperity. However, I suspect that if one were to think about a guarantee of it, most of us would be very skeptical and with good right. Might we consider the following introduction over this lesson? Isn't it interesting as one contemplates the whole concept of prosperity, we would do well to define it. What do we mean by that very word? And furthermore, as we extend our study into the Word of God, what does God have to say about it? The word prosper simply means to thrive, to enjoy success, to succeed. And thus, the very notion of prosperity ties directly and associates with success. And don't we all like to be successful? Be it on the job, be it in our families, be it in the community, be it in the context of our bank account. Most everyone enjoys successfulness and thus appreciates the thrust and the drive to be successful. As I mentioned a moment ago, from time to time you and I encounter those circumstances in which someone guarantees prosperity. Have you ever noticed a TV commercial or sat there through one where some person says, if you'll buy my book, if you will purchase access to this activity, I'll guarantee you that you'll be successful. Sometimes the subject of discussion is any number of things. For some, it is if you will buy my book or buy this particular drug, I'll guarantee you'll lose 15, 20 pounds. For others, if you purchase this exercise machine, and I guarantee you that you will achieve your weight loss gain, and thus you will feel better and more successful than ever before. For others, the claim is even greater. Those books that portray the thought that they have a guaranteed means by which you can be financially self-independent and wealthy, you buy my book and you enter this association with me, I'll guarantee that in your spare time you'll make $5,000 a month. As I mentioned, quite often we are very skeptical of those guarantees. Almost all of us probably choose those moments to make our trip to the refrigerator rather than to listen to the thrust of that guarantee and put our confidence in it. As you've probably already guessed, though, we are interested today not what some television commercial portrays about prosperity, not what someone else in a given booklet may state about it. Does the Holy Word of God make any statements about prosperity? For we might well agree that if it does, this is worth our attention. It is worth our intense interest. For after all, didn't the psalmist say in Psalm 119, verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy salvation, and I will not forget thy statutes. Thus, as we consider this fact, God has spoken on the subject of prosperity. 
Over the next few moments this morning, let me invite you to take a journey with me through the wonderful Word of God as we look at four specific instances in which God spoke about prosperity. Let us notice very carefully what was involved and the statements of God's guarantee. I might mention at the outset, these aren't suggestions. This is God's guarantee, and that we know God's guarantees a certainty. If He has promised it and guaranteed it, it only reminds us of the fact that He will follow through if we are faithful to the terms of the guarantee. Let us then begin our study by looking at the first instance found in the interesting opening section of the Old Testament. Let us turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29 and look at the prosperity of ancient Israel. As we might note at the outset of this portion of the lesson, ancient Israel had been mightily blessed by the God of heaven. We each can remember that they were a band of slaves in a foreign nation far more powerful than they, Egypt. They were in that land, and yet God dipped down from heaven with his strong arm and brought them out with ten plagues of greatness. And in the aftermath of that, he led them through wilderness wanderings. The Red Sea was even parted for them. They crossed it on dry land. They had been so greatly blessed. As they came to Mount Sinai, God again blessed them greatly by providing to them His laws by which they could themselves understand His greatness and march toward the promised land. They were given a hope like no other nation. Furthermore, not only that, through that years of wandering, their clothes didn't wear out. They were providentially given food by a way of manna and quail. God took care of them. Oh, how they were blessed. Moses was the chosen leader of this group. And as he led them, the time came in Deuteronomy 29. At this point, they had no wandered in that wilderness and were encamped on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Across that river lay that promised land. They'd been marching toward for 40 long and arduous years. Moses was soon to pass from the earthly scenes of this life. He would shortly ascend Mount Nebo, and there, by virtue of God's blessing, would be allowed to ascend Mount Pisgah and look at that land to which he'd been leading Israel. On this occasion, though, shortly before his passing, he leaves some profoundly wise words with Israel. He tells them some things they need to know with regard to their coming existence in that land. And might we note, he tells them what they need to do to be prosperous. Let's notice what he said in Deuteronomy 29, verse number 9. Keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. Keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. As Moses spoke with Israel, he thus stated to them that as they shortly in a matter now of only a very, very few days would cross the Jordan and enter that land to conquer it and make it their own, in order to be prosperous, in order to be successful, keep therefore the words of this covenant. What covenant was Moses referring to? Verse number 1 of Deuteronomy 29 tells us it was the covenant God had delivered and didn't he even refer to it in that verse we just noted, this covenant. It wasn't any man-made covenant. It was that covenant that spoke of the testimony of association between they and the God who had made them and brought them to that location. 
Hey, they're fascinating, but many things Moses did not mention. Our world today and its pursuit of prosperity often puts many things into the pursuit of it that Moses never mentioned. What is often studied to be needed for a nation to be prosperous? Is it a strong military? Is prosperity based on the number of cannons or the number of fighting men you have or the number of soldiers or the number of bayonets? Is it based on the strength of one's economy? Is it based on the work, the gross national product? If it is, Moses didn't know anything about it. Moses testified, it is true, in order to be successful, in order to be prosperous, keep the words of this covenant and do them. Isn't it a mighty lesson to notice in the days long past how that God spoke through Moses to ancient Israel and testified to them the guarantee of prosperity? We might well inquire, did they listen attentively to what Moses had stated? There were times in Israel's history when she enjoyed marvelous prosperity. And as we each can remember, those were the very times that she followed this prescription. She followed the guarantee. What about those occasions, for instance, when David began to reign? Prosperous. What about those instances when, say, Josiah began to reign? Prosperous. Why? They kept the commandments and the statutes and the judgments and the testimony of God. But what about those other occasions where she knew not prosperity? Wasn't that when she turned her back on the God who loved her? She turned her back on the commandments he had given? That's exactly when it happened, like in the days of the judges. When they began to follow the other arenas and the other gods and goddesses, and God allowed them to be taken into captivity, and they served under oppression as they did to the Midianites, beginning in Judges chapter 6. We notice, though, God's guarantee was very simple, wasn't it? Keep the words, therefore, of this testimony, this covenant, and do them, and you shall be prosperous in all that you do. As simple as that has been, may I submit to you that we need to look further. For this had to do with nations. And just as certainly as nations enjoy prosperity, you and I, on a personal level, want personally and individually to be prosperous. Let's look at some examples in which God gave guarantees to that end. We need not turn very far. Just a very few chapters to Joshua chapter 1. And as we look at that one, consider this with me. Joshua chapter number 1. At this point and at this time, that great man Moses had passed away. He had led Israel through some difficult, some trying times, and we might well remark about the greatness that Moses enjoyed. However, when he passed away, who would succeed him? Who would be that chosen one to lead this nation numbering into the millions? God's people, Hebrews, into the chosen land. He would need to be a strong person. He would need to be a person who would in fact be able to lead and guide in wisdom. After all, we can well remember how difficult Moses had it at various times. These people were murmuring people. They were complaining people. They were people who on more than one occasion seemed to forget who it was that was behind them. Whoever it was that would succeed Moses would need to be a person of great strength and wisdom. And furthermore, he no doubt would be a person who would be tempted to have doubts. How could I follow in the footsteps of a man like Moses? As great as he was, 
It might be that you and I today on occasion have been in that situation. Maybe at the workplace, a boss, one who is very highly understood and to be successful at accomplishing his job, reached the time of retirement. And we were asked, maybe you or me, to be promoted to ascend into that position. We might wonder, could I do it as well as he did? Could I perform that function or that job as successfully, given that I'm now the manager over 10 or 20 or 50 people? The next leader would here be the leader of millions, not just dozens. We want to remember that God had already typed Joshua to be the successor. As Joshua was chosen, though the very first chapter in the book of Joshua was intended to give him the words by which not only could his fears and doubts be quelled, he would be given a guarantee of prosperity. Let's notice what that guarantee was in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Don't you know that a smile came to Joshua's face when he heard the God of heaven make statements like that to him? Joshua, I will be with you just as surely as I was with Moses. And you need not be concerned or fearful that I will depart from you or leave you alone. But Joshua, be aware of this. To be successful and to be prosperous, you need to understand that the words of this law should not depart from you neither day nor night. You should turn from them neither to the left nor to the right. You should meditate in them day and night. And if you will do those things, putting them into practice, you will be prosperous and so will your way, and you will be successful. That's a guarantee, isn't it? God didn't say you might be. He didn't say it could be. Or perhaps He said, Joshua, you will be prosperous and you will be successful. But let us notice again the terms. I have a highlight at the very bottom. The effectiveness and prosperity that Joshua will enjoy will directly depend on his obedience to, his understanding of, and his pursuit of, neither to the left nor right, but straightforwardly throughout the nature of the Word of God. That alone reminds us very interestingly of that first guarantee, wasn't it? Where to Israel, Moses said, this covenant will be the basis for your prosperity. You must keep it. To Joshua, he said, Joshua, follow this covenant. The commandments of God turn neither to the left or to the right. Meditate on it day and night. Doesn't that remind us of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 1? In fact, the first two verses of the whole book of Psalms recall to our mind this interesting statement. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The meditation upon God's word day and night, the simple prescription of allowing it to guide our thoughts, our actions, our language. Later in Psalm 119, do we not notice verse 97? Oh, I love it. It is my meditation all the day. No wonder the psalmist was interested in that. He wanted to be prosperous. He wanted to be successful. These thoughts challenged us now to again notice 
what was not included in what God said? What did He not say to Joshua? I've noted some of the things at the bottom. Sometimes you and I today are told that an effective leader has to have a PhD. He has to be a person of high educational consideration. Maybe he has to have the right pedigree. Was his father and his grandfather a noble person of leadership? If not, maybe it's not in his genes. Maybe it's not in his repertoire to be that effective leader. That wasn't said to Joshua. You see, today you and I may understand too that leadership doesn't just come with high secular education. That person who is knowledgeable and wise in terms of the Word of God may be the best person to seek advice from, the best person to seek counsel from. And isn't it interesting that in terms of the leadership of the church, a PhD is not a qualification of an elder. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? For Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24 tells us that if a person is wise in the ways of God, regardless what else he may know worldly, he is wise. But that person, no matter what he knows in the world, if he knows not the Scriptures and knows not the covenant of God, he is not wise. That's a sobering reflection, isn't it? Joshua then was told, this is your guarantee of prosperity. You determine to follow the will of God completely and wholly. Use it to guide your decisions. Use it in terms of day and night meditation. And use it to form your decisions about pursuing the things and leading as people of Israel. That's an interesting and very profound thought, isn't it? That's two examples. How about a third one? As we look at this third one, we will now turn our attention to one who is wise in years. One who has advanced to a great deal in his life, in fact, near to the time of his death. Isn't it the case that sometimes after a lifetime of experience, after a lifetime of consideration, a person in reflection upon it all can say the best course of wisdom? Let us look at 1 Kings 2, verse number 2 and 3. The man now under discussion is that of David giving advice to his son Solomon. In fact, if we recall briefly the setting, David, we remember, had been selected and chosen as the leader of Israel. He would be the king that would follow Saul. He was anointed in 1 Samuel 16, and inasmuch as he assumed the throne of that kingship, he led at first in a beautiful and mighty way. His heart was directed toward God, and in fact, of him it is said, he was a man after God's own heart. The statement there found in 1 Samuel 14. All that being noted, though, we quickly remember that David did make his mistakes. And later in life, especially in 2 Samuel 11, he committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba. He, in fact, murdered a husband, and David never forgot what happened. He had allowed God to not be the focus of his life. He had directed his affairs in other ways to where he was not pursuing God. And as we well know from the guarantee... For that period in his life, he was not prosperous. In fact, his family suffered tremendously from what happened. However, as David came to the close of his life, practically on his deathbed, if you will, Solomon had been the one chosen by God to succeed him as king. And as that transition was soon to occur, David gave some wise words to his son. And in fact, contained in those words is a guarantee of prosperity. Let us read in this passage found in 1 Kings 2, verses 2 and 3. 
I've listed specifically verse 3, but let me begin in verse number 2. I go the way of all the earth. Be, be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, and His commandments, and His judgments, and His testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. As you and I put ourselves perhaps into Solomon's place and listen to our father, perhaps give to us some of his final words. Isn't it amazing what David did say and what he did not say? We find another guarantee of prosperity. Solomon, listen to me. I soon will go the way of all the earth. I won't be here anymore. Death will soon be my allotment. But he says, show yourself a man. And verse number three, keep the charge of the Lord thy God. Follow his ways. Keep his commandments, his statutes, his ordinances, his judgments, and his laws. And if you do that, Solomon, if you do that, you will be prosperous in all your ways and wheresoever you turn yourself. Another guarantee of prosperity. It sounds remarkably similar to the one in Joshua 1 verse 8 and remarkably similar to the one in Deuteronomy 29.9. We're beginning to see a pattern, aren't we? This prosperity was conditioned upon Solomon, your devotion and your obedience to the ways of God. You let it guard your ways, aid you in making your decisions. You use it as you walk your way through life. Solomon, as he began his reign, took that to heart, didn't he? On that occasion in 1 Kings chapter 9, when God appeared to him in a dream and said, Solomon, ask for anything and I'll give it to you. Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for a wise and understanding heart. God was well pleased with that request and gave him not only that for which he requested, but many things for which he did not request. That leads us to notice what were some of the things that David did mention. Some of the things that were not a part of what he told Solomon in order to be successful and to be prosperous. Did you notice? He said nothing about wealth. He said nothing about the size of your possessions and the number of them. That was the furthest from his mind. However, when we come to this point, isn't it true that many in our world, especially in our blessed materialistic land of America, think that success and prosperity correlate one-to-one to number of possessions, size of bank account, number of cars, square footage of house? They're going to be sorely mistaken in the days of eternity. For you see, that has nothing to do with prosperity. David told Solomon, you keep the charges of God. You walk in His ways and in His judgments and in His statutes and you will be prosperous wherever you go and whatever way you turn. It's amazing then that we in this land that's been so blessed fail to realize the hand from whom all those blessings flow. God indeed is the giver of all good and perfect gifts, James 1.17. And do we not read with respect to this very point? That salient statement by our Savior in Luke 12. There was a time when a young man came to Jesus and said, Speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Jesus wasted no opportunity but said, Who made me a judge and a divider over you? And then in verse 15 of Luke 12, one of the most profound statements, 
that America and we as individuals need to remember and learn. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. You and I enjoy the handiwork and the blessings of God for us, and for that we must be thankful, but never should we think that that makes us. Never should we think that that alone is the statement of our prosperity. That, you see, is God's side benefit for our devotion to Him. And isn't it interesting? As long as we're devoted to Him, David said prosperity will be ours. Prosperity we will enjoy. And don't we all like prosperity? Don't we all enjoy successfulness? Perhaps these three occasions that we've studied have challenged us to think what does bring prosperity and also to remind us what doesn't. There's one more instance, and it was the one that was the subject of our Bible reading of the day. It was read for us a few moments ago from 2 Chronicles 26. Turn there with me and let's look at one more example. This one from a king, perhaps with whom we're a little less familiar, it was none other than King Uzziah. As you consider the statement of this one, the statement is perhaps one that would be good for us to commit to memory. Uzziah was a rather young man when he came to the throne of ancient Judah. Interestingly enough, his father was named Amaziah, and Amaziah had been assassinated. At the tender age of 16, Uzziah became the king of Judah. Tender age of 16. However, we learn something immediate. Young people often can be profoundly of interest in terms of understanding the right and wrong ways. Quite often a young person can see directly that path which is right or wrong. Maybe we don't always give the young people as much credit as they deserve. As long as they have been brought up in a way that's proper and right, even at a young age, they may can well see the answer that you and I as older ones may fail to fully appreciate. At the tender age of 16, Uzziah became king. And verse number 5 describes for us the character of, his, of the early part of his reign. Notice the statement there with me. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah. And then as the verse closes, And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Isn't that beautiful? Well, notice that in the days of Uzziah, that king, he was a person who often reigned very wisely, and he did that especially at the outset of his reign. In fact, this verse identifies. He sought the Lord, and in that response, God made him prosper. The kingdom was prosperous. His reign was prosperous. This time was an especially beautiful time to be a Hebrew. The land was at peace. All things were well, because he sought the Lord. A little bit later in, in his reign, however, especially in chapter 26, a little bit later in this chapter, it is the case that the problem became such that he no longer sought the Lord. And as he failed to seek the Lord, what was it that took place then? We remember that he became prideful and presumptuous. He sought the ways of himself, not of God. He usurped his thinking above that which God had delivered. Do you remember what happened to him? Was he prosperous then? When he chose to walk by his rules instead of God's? When he chose to make the decisions by his own thinking instead of God's? As that chapter closes, it was a sad spectacle. 
perhaps very few in all biblical history went from being so high to so low as quickly as Uzziah. In fact, on one occasion, as the chapter ends, when he was so prideful and so arrogant to think that he could enter the tabernacle, the temple, if you will, and offer sacrifice, when himself he was not a Levite, God struck him with leprosy, and he died in a miserable way. What a powerful statement about what it means to prosper. As long as Isaiah sought the Lord, he prospered. Whenever he didn't, he failed. What about your life and mine today? Be you young or old, prosperity ties directly to the recognition and pursuit of the ways of God. It has been that way in every scene we've studied. As long as Israel did the words of the covenant, they prospered, Deuteronomy 29.9. As long as Joshua turned not from left or right from following the word of God, he was prosperous, Joshua 1, verse 8. As long as Solomon walked in the ways of God and his statutes and testimonies and judgments, he was prosperous, 1 Kings 2, verse 3. And finally, even Uzziah, as long as he sought the Lord, he was prosperous, 2 Chronicles 26.5. All of these perhaps bring us to realize that God's way is always right. And this is His guarantee. Far more to be believed in that commercial on television. Far more to be appreciated than what some book may reveal. This is God's promise. It's heaven's guarantee of prosperity. If you want to be prosperous, young person, become a Christian and walk with God all the days of your life, you'll never regret it. For it will provide you with a hope that will sustain you through times, be they good or bad. It will always lead you toward the pathways of an eternal happiness and home in heaven with all the generosity you can imagine. However, if you fail to seek the Lord, just like Uzziah, your life here, you may still enjoy the physical blessings of it, but you'll come up short on the day of judgment and you'll be found lacking all throughout eternity. Older person alike... If you want to prosper, follow the ways of God without question. Believe exactly what He says. Again, He doesn't promise that all the times will be rosy and sweet. But He does promise that He'll always be there. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 You and I as we then rest upon that promise, let us realize God has guaranteed prosperity to those that will follow His way and turn neither to the right nor to the left. Have you become a Christian today? Are you walking in the sunlit light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? After all, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, we have been given the blessed light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you followed that light? Have you allowed it to illuminate your way and to provide you the means of understanding the glorious purpose of life? If you have done that, you know what a blessing it has been. But may we ask in a personal way, are you personally and individually faithfully following the Savior? If you've never become a Christian, you need to do that today. You need to realize that the Savior died at Calvary for you. He shed His blood for you. He asked, demands, in fact, you believe Him to be the Son of God, that He is the one and only way to heaven. Repent then of the sins that have marred your way and separated you from your Maker. Humbly then confess His sweet name as your Savior. Believe Him to be the Son of God and make that known to others. And then be immersed in water, baptized in order that He'll wash your sins away. If you've done that but have not been those like Uzziah was at the outset of his reign, but you have begun to follow other ways and other paths, 
Maybe you've now come to realize it's not leading you where you want to go. It's time to turn around. It's time to come back to the Lord. He's still right where He was when you left Him. He wants you to be faithful too. Come back then and allow us to pray on your behalf today if that's the need in your heart and in your life. If any of these things then are the need of your life, understand you can be prosperous. God has promised it. There is a guarantee. It turns upon you following Him. Learn about His will and do that completely. If we could assist you today in public obedience, let us do that in order that you might be prosperous even while together we stand and while we sing.